0: You're listening to the Oxfam Podcast, the show where we share our learning and knowledge with the sector, so you can hear how we work, how we think, and why we do what we do. Remember, you can subscribe to us on all your usual podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Oxfam Podcast, the show where we share our latest learning with the sector. I'm Jola Mazinyek, Strategic Lead for Sustainable Water within OGB, Oxfam GB. I'm based here in Oxford, and I have two colleagues joining us today from across the waters, Janie in the Netherlands, and Sarah in the States. Hey, Janie, how are you? Good, Yola. How are you doing? Not bad. Looking forward to this today. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody?
1: Sure. I'm Janie Vonk, and I work for Oxfam GB as a global advisor for impact evaluations focused on sustainable water and sanitation.
0: Thanks, Janie. And now, Sarah, why don't you give everybody a virtual wave and an introduction to yourself? Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. So my name is
2: Sarah Young. I'm a professor of anthropology and global health at Northwestern University in in
0: Chicago, Illinois. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Today's episode is part of our Real Geek series, where we talk about how research, measurement and evaluation are essential tools in improving the impact of our work. This show will focus on the challenges in measuring sustainable water and sanitation, learning from Oxfam's impact valuations and our growing collaboration with a network called HWISE, which stands for Household Water Insecurity Experiences Scale. But before we get into that, Sarah, tell us, what got you interested in how water security is measured?
2: HY started not in the context of studying water, but in the context of studying food and food insecurity. I had this big study in Western Kenya quantifying the impacts of food insecurity in what we call the first thousand days. So that's the year prior to delivery and the two years after delivery. And I'm trained as both an anthropologist and a nutritionist. So with my nutritionist hat on, I was ready to quantify food insecurity. But with my anthropologist hat on, I wanted to make sure that I was asking the right questions. So I did what we call photo elicitation interviews, which is a fancy way of saying we gave people cameras and asked them to take pictures of things that shaped how they fed their infants. And I expected a bunch of pictures related to food insecurity and we definitely got those. But then there were scores of pictures of water, and it turns out, this is no surprise to me now, but it was then, many moons ago, that water shapes how we feed our infants, and it shapes a whole lot of other aspects of our lives. So I wanted to measure water insecurity, or problems with water, in the same way that we could measure food insecurity, Ran to the literature to find exactly the scale, kind of like the, the sister scale to the food insecurity one, and it didn't exist. There wasn't a, a a way to quantify people's experiences with access and use that was appropriate for Kenya. Now, there are some great scales that are tailored, for example, to Bolivia or tailored to the Mexico-Texas border or tailored to Nepal. But there wasn't
1: a tool for us that we could use in Kenya. Yeah, I think this was also what we found at uh, Oxfam the last few years. We've been looking at measuring impact in terms of sustainable water and sanitation for individuals and also at the household level. But when we were looking for different scales and indexes that might be out there, there was nothing at that level. So that's kind of the same thing that you found as well.
2: And Janie, can I ask you what scales you
1: did find? Or what were you considering? Well, so JMP is the common one, which I know we've talked a lot about, which just looks at access in terms of what kind of water source and also if we're looking at sanitation, what kind of sanitation facility you have access to but there are so many other factors in terms of how far away those things might be from where you live how often they're functioning etc who has access to them and who doesn't and so we wanted something that would encompass all of those things but we couldn't find anything there are a lot of global scales the water poverty index is a pretty well known one but we want to actually look at kind of the end user experience in terms of individuals and their families we didn't really find much that's right i mean Sometimes when I talk to hydrologists,
2: they say, like, surely there are plenty of ways of measuring water. And certainly there are. I mean, there's a lot of ways of quantifying water availability. But to know how many cubic meters per capita there are across, for example, the state of Illinois, where we have the Great Lakes, I mean, that doesn't really tell you about the what we would call heterogeneity of distribution. I mean, some people live right on the lake. Some people live inland and don't have plumbing. So knowing availability doesn't tell you the whole picture. It's turned out that it was important to know not only about availability, but also access and then getting even more specific and use. And then across all of
0: those three, the reliability of of all of those. I think that's what was really excited me when I first met with Chad Staten at Stockholm, as, as you do. That was really the bit that actually caught my attention because The problem is that there really isn't that kind of way to measure how people feel about it. And if they do, it's very kind of in storytelling and those kind of qualitative means to go about it. But it really didn't exist across particularly global scale, let alone a national scale, where you could actually quantify that within other metrics as well. So that's what really got me excited about this one.
2: When I started to get into the water literature, I saw there were in fact a lot of ways of measuring water. We're very good at measuring the availability of water. So how much water is out there in the world? And then we can divide that across the number of people and come up with a per capita measurement of water. But the availability of water doesn't mean that it's accessible either economically or infrastructurally, or, or if we're maybe not completely able embodied, can we carry that water? And then it doesn't capture use, which is are we do we have the water that we need for hygiene for consumption and for for economic productivity or agricultural productivity so i was both i mean throughout the process of developing the scale i I kept looking over my shoulder like surely this exists but it turns out that there was there were there are a lot of ways of measuring availability and also a lot of really sophisticated ways of measuring water quality um, but in between those, the access and use, there there wasn't a, a globally relevant metric.
0: You know, I found the same thing. So five years ago, um, I was asked to develop this like, more longer term strategy for water and sanitation within Oxfam. And I kind of had the same feeling that surely this must exist somewhere in the world. Yeah. And uh, It was just really bizarre. The more we dug into it, the more we found actually there really isn't anything. And so there's this huge kind of divide between sphere and emergencies and then sort of very World Bank and JMP type um, literature and monitoring metrics. So, yeah, it was um, a really difficult thing we had to to look into because how do we measure success? You know, how do we actually see if sustainability exists in between these kind of very two traditional looking conceptual uh, areas? So we did fill the gap a little bit by actually establishing an outcomes framework, which is basically what programming could look like through incremental changes towards sustainability. Sometimes also, you know, you feel like you have to reach this metric now. And that's a really big ask of programs that are either particularly coming out of uh, in a fragile context or out of an emergency and want to transition forward. But actually, you need to have that progressive step change to attain sustainability. So. We developed that. And then as a result of that, Janie took it one step further and looking at the household level water index. So actually, why don't I stop there? And, and Janie, why don't you tell us a bit more and take us a trip down memory lane of how it all happened?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. So when I started to work for Oxfam back in 2018, I came on to work on our effectiveness review series, which you can refer to the podcast description for additional links. And we've also had several podcasts in this series on various topics related to those reviews and evaluations. It was a new theme that we added, the sustainable water, which was added in 2017. Before that, we also had several other themes like women's empowerment and and resilience and livelihoods. We'd already developed multidimensional indexes for measuring those concepts, but we didn't have one yet for measuring this concept of sustainable water. And so essentially I set out to review all of the different indexes that are out there Uh, literature review, as well as what other organizations are using, and I kind of found the same thing, that there wasn't really anything out there if we want to look at the the household and individual level in terms of the end user experiences, especially in terms of something that would would capture sustainability in terms of long-term use and different factors that contribute to that. It was around the same time that we conveniently got linked up with h and Sarah and the whole network because we were able to incorporate this idea of water security into our own sustainable water index that we've developed. In addition to water security. Uh,
2: can, and, I'm going to interrupt you for a second.
1: Yeah. Like, I, I have to think of Professor
2: Chad Statton as something of a, a Cupid or a matchmaker <laughs> between h <H-Wise laughs> and Oxfam. I don't know how he brought us together, but sort of the cupid between Oxfam and and H-wise I'm super grateful to him for that
0: yes yeah for sure I love these kind of random meets that you sometimes have and yeah somebody taps you on the shoulder at an event in in, in Stockholm and and then you just exchange cards and then three years later this has happened it's just yeah it's really cool I mean a few years
2: later we have a scientific paper under review we got the revised we got the reviewers' comments yesterday, and they're very positive about um, seeing these results of how water governance and water and security and well-being interact.
0: So, actually, why Janie, tell us about actually the other six dimensions that uh, are included in the index, because definitely water security is based on the HY scale. Um, what about the other ones? I know we've got a couple more that were included, some of which Sarah's already mentioned, but just to kind of, make sure we capture it and um, in its whole.
1: Yeah, so in addition to one dimension being water security, which actually came about right at the time where we were almost finalizing the index that we we're going to use. So it was kind of right at the right time where Yola came and said, hey, we have this potential collaboration uh, after her meeting with Chad. And it was really the perfect timing to include that. And it really adds a lot to the other dimensions. So the other dimensions are equity, which is about, being gender inclusive and also inclusive of vulnerable users, including children, people with disabilities and chronic illnesses, that they also have equal access to water and sanitation facilities. The next dimension is institutions, which really focuses on aspects of governance uh, from the end user perspective around accountability, transparency, and trust. And then another dimension is around operations. These are the things that are typically measured, I think, in terms of water and sanitation system and service management, asset management, uh, how accessible they are, and financial viability and affordability. And then one of the ones which Sarah did already mention is well-being, which looks at aspects of overall quality of life, health, education. It can also include wealth. And then the last one is the environment, last but not least. And it focuses on individual perceptions of water safety, waste management, and conservation efforts in their community. And I mentioned some of these different aspects for each of the dimensions, but just to say the way that we've designed this particular index is that it can also be adapted to any given project or context in terms of what's most relevant, um, but that those six dimensions always stay the same. And the reason we developed this is for the use, as I said, in our effectiveness reviews. And so far, we've been able to apply it in three cases, one in urban Zambia to review an urban wash project, one in DRC to review a rural water and sanitation project, and one in Sierra Leone, which was, again, an urban wash project. And as Sarah mentioned, we had this paper that we had written looking at the links between water insecurity governance, which was based on some of the questions from this institution's dimension, as well as well-being. And to do that, we were able to use the data that was gathered for the
0: effectiveness reviews in both Zambia and DRC. And clearly, there's a lot of data that gets gathered here as well. So I know that, Sarah, you and Josh have done some extraordinary work in unpicking this data and, and getting it all together. How does that look like in terms of being presented or kind of how to summarize it down? Yeah, this is a good time to appreciate Josh Miller, who's the
2: (laughs) HYS study coordinator and has done an amazing job managing data from, I think we have 30 sites, in 25 low- and middle-income countries around the world. Um, And so how do we manage those data? Very carefully. When HYS started, it wasn't called HYS; It was a humble scale that uh, quantified water access and use in Western Kenya. But looking around or opening the newspaper, you'll see – it's easy to see that water is an issue everywhere in the world, either too much or too little or the wrong quality. So I secured funding from Imana, which is Innovative Metrics in Agriculture and Nutrition. It's a wonderful organization to develop a scale that we would pilot. We said in six, maybe five sites. But there was such enthusiasm for quantifying the this more experiential side of water that we wound up with something like 28 sites in low- and middle-income countries. And is that how many you've got now, or how many is it outstanding at now? So we we collected data in 28 sites in order to develop the scale. And so to develop a scale, you need to ask candidate questions, but then you also need to ask a bunch of other questions in order to validate the scale. I won't go into the details, but these are published, and, and I think the links will be published along with this podcast. But now, with those data from those 28 sites, we're also asking a a bunch of other questions about the relationship to water insecurity and infant feeding, to water insecurity and food insecurity, water insecurity, water sharing. and there's a lot of interesting science coming out of this. But even better than that is a lot of other organizations are are taking up H.Y.'s. So thank you, Oxfam, for being an early adopter and really kind of trusting that this was a thing before anyone else was talking about it. That's just so appreciated.
1: Yeah, we found that using HYs has been really exciting. And even in addition to the three effectiveness reviews that we've used it in that I mentioned, and we'll continue using it in future effectiveness reviews. We also recently included HYS in another impact evaluation of a resilience and WASH project in Sitway Camp in Myanmar. And we also expect to be using it more often in other monitoring evaluation activities in the future. Well, oh, you guys are the best.
2: There is something better than scale development, which is scale implementation, where you actually find out information about the world with the scale. And that's that really thrills me. Um, it also thrills me, our most recent collaborator, um, so I don't know if you've heard of Gallup World Polls. So they do representative sampling uh, around the world. And UNESCO, the scientific arm of the United Nations and um, my university, Northwestern University, and Gallup have signed a contract to implement HYs throughout the entire continent of Africa as well as in India. And so what this means is that we will have nationally representative data on household water insecurity for the first time for the entire continent of Africa, not even just sub-Saharan Africa, but also North Africa, as well as India. And in India, there's oversampling. So we'll be able to talk about not just national level, but state level trends. So that will tell us about prevalence. But also Gallup collects other information for example, on quality of life, on migration, on economic productivity, on political stability, uh, such that we can look at relationships between water and security and or just a whole range of phenomena.
0: It's really amazing. I was so excited when I heard that. Um, I mean, it's amazing to that, that it's grown so quickly in such a short space of time, really. Um, and actually that we can be part of that. I think that's fantastic. Hmm. This is, you know, what we're really trying to highlight is that these kind of global metrics are brilliant. But if we don't kind of come together to input into them, then they are just kind of one dimensional as such. But being able to then link those in with particularly what Oxfam's interested in in terms of poverty metrics and measurement and how that really links into water insecurity and from those other variables, that is going to be really it's groundbreaking. I mean, like we would said to all three of us, we, this didn't exist. Nothing existed like this. So. To have it um, being recognised on a, a regional scale is is really fantastic. Well done, you guys.
1: Yeah, and I think also going beyond that, it's also about looking at the impact of our program. So using tools like hys and also in combination with other metrics that we think are important, especially around equity and governance and well-being, that we can then look to see for the different programs that we're doing where we're trying to, for example, reduce water insecurity and improve well-being, we can actually use these tools to see to what extent we're having an impact in those areas. That
2: touches nicely on the kind of third use of, of a, an indicator like this. So we talked about prevalence and we talked about using it to understand relationships with other phenomenon. But the third use is to, to detect what happens. I mean, so, so if someone goes in and builds a well. There's a well there. That's true. That's easy to count. There's one. But are people's experiences with access or use change? Does their HY score change? That becomes something that we can quantify.
0: So that then relates really well to what's being currently gathered by the JMP, but kind of just adds a bit of extra content into it. And now that it's measurable at a regional level and national levels, there can really be this kind of relationship between whether access is really improving water security. Because one of the things that you ask in the in the survey is, or do people go to bed thirsty? Do they worry about water? Uh, and how often they've missed different activities as a result of it. I mean, these are really personal things that are affecting people on a daily basis and we talk a lot about wellbeing and and mental health now and actually how water insecurity really impacts on mental health is is huge um, and how that affects the individuals and the family. So maybe if you want to give us a few of those questions, I don't think we've touched on that yet, have we, actually?
1: Yeah, actually, because that was another thing through the HYS Network. They've also been sharing all sorts of other really useful scales that they work with that I wasn't aware of. For example, the perceived stress scale is one example. It's four questions. So we've also been including that to look at one part of our quality of life indicator in terms of stress, and then that's another thing where we can explore the links between water insecurity using HYS and
0: also stress using this perceived stress scale. So we've talked about narrowing down the questions, and so maybe this is a good time to just explain the, the questions and what they cover. Yeah,
2: sure. So um, the scale takes about three minutes to administer, and it's 12 items asking about experiences. In the prior month, and it's asking at the household level. So the questions range in severity. So in the last four weeks, how frequently did you or anyone in your household worry you wouldn't have enough water for all your household needs, being on the less extreme side, to something in the middle? Um, how how frequently did any you or anyone in your household go without washing their body because of problems with water? And then generally what's on the most extreme, meaning the least the least affirmed. Is did you is a question about
0: going to sleep thirsty? What do you mean, this by that?
2: So when we look at the households that, so there were something like eighty four hundred, actually eight thousand three hundred and twenty seven households comprised the sample on which the scale was based, and the people who said yes, I yes I went to sleep thirsty because there wasn't any water to drink, those were that that was the item that was least tipped. Mhm. So. When that question is asked, you can respond to it as that never happens, that rarely happens, and we quant- we train the enumerator so that rarely is open to interpretation, but that means one to two times in the last four weeks. Does it sometimes happen three to t- ten times or often or always? And then uh, never is scored zero, rarely is scored one, sometimes is scored two, and often or always are both scored as three. So with 12 items up to, from 0 to 3, the range is 0 to 36 as a total HY score.
0: So what was the most that people kind of affirmed in this one that they, that they related to? Uh, worry. Mm. And that's across any continent, any countries. That's right.
1: Sarah, are the items from 1 to 12, are those actually ordered? in terms of what was most common to least common? When these questions are asked, we encourage that they're
2: asked from least to most extreme, but not the order of what is
1: the most severe experiences does change by site. Okay, so the order that you have them, for example, in the manual is on average for the full sample?
2: That's right, but it's open to your interpretation for implementation. Yeah, okay. I was pleased that we could take the 32 candidate items and compress them down to 12. And pretty much a week after we published these 12 items, uh, an economist called me up or emailed me and said, "But surely you could make the scale shorter. <laughs> like, the ink is barely dry and you want shorter. Um, yeah, this
1: is also a problem we have with our index that we've been working with because it's a lot more than 12 items. And so, yeah, we're also constantly looking for ways to capture everything, but not ask too many questions at the same time.
2: Yeah, so the analytic team, the HY's analytic team, have, have had some meetings, and we've been running our STATA programs. And I'm happy to say that we have shrunk the HY's scale further. We have a short form with a mere four items in it.
0: Which are? I'm curious.
2: So we haven't dotted our I's and crossed our T's, but I can tell you, I'll tell you two of the ones that have made it. And one of those is the question about worry, because anticipated risks of of water insecurity are weighing heavily on people's minds. And it's interesting just in a a parallel to um, the food insecurity literature. In nutrition, we used to think that if you got enough food, you would be fine. I mean, that's coarsely, I'm exaggerating, but But what we have found over time through, I mean, the food security literature is now about 40 years old is we see that even before people are having small meals or having a completely non-diverse diet, the things that they're doing in order to compensate for that or to even achieve that meal and the mental burden of worrying about where food for the family is coming from is causing all kinds of health outcomes from poor cognitive function, to not adhering to um, medicines you're supposed to take, to depression. So I think it's so fascinating that our, our minds are so powerful that just the experiences without the actual um, food being lacking is enough to drastically shape health. And so in, when we think about water, I th- you don't have to be dehydrated to be experiencing really adverse outcomes of water
0: insecurity. That's fascinating, but makes total sense at the same time. So this is kind of my Hy's bite size, and this is a genuine exclusive that you're giving us.
2: <laughs> so for that reason, uh, worrying about water, I thought, was really an important item to keep. So when we were picking the items for the short form, we wanted to make sure we captured items that touched on the domains of household water insecurity that are that are key to household water insecurity, and those are access, use, and reliability. So uh, the item about worry captures worry about either access or use or reliability, so so that covered all manner of sins. And of the many use items that we have, we selected the um, not having enough water to wash your hands as the most extreme item in the short form. And it was the second to most extreme item in the the parent scale. And I thought that was a, a nice item because it it touched it captured some of the hygiene aspects of of water security.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point also on hand washing because a lot of programs focus so much on teaching people how to wash their hands. But one of the limiting factors is often that they just don't have enough water available so they're prioritizing and of course there are other important factors like developing the habit etc but
0: yeah that's a really important point and i think looping this background right to when you started talking sarah about how you got into this i mean the fact that you had the the photo series and that was done by women by mothers and an interesting component i think to taking this forward is to have a specific focus on gender in the future how can we develop something that is much more understanding the challenges that women and we know women and girls feel much more acutely uh, in water insecurity than anybody else. And so it's how we can then start translating, honing it down to having bite size H.Y.s with the four questions, but then also looking at how we can attribute that to certain vulnerable groups or certain different types of genres that are feeling water insecurity that much more than others. Yeah.
2: So um, high resolution data. As sort of a more boring and technical term of saying bite-sized pieces is is has been called for by um, the high-level panel on water. So 2018 started the decade of water action, and one of their first in, in their opening pages they say you can't manage what you can't measure, and we need higher resolution data. So with the HY scale as it's implemented by Oxfam, we have now data at the, at the household scale. So these questions, you'll remember, are asking about the respondent and anyone in their household. For the Gallup um, surveys, what we've done is refined it further to ask about individuals' experiences in and of themselves. And that is going to be so exciting for looking at disparities in, um, for example, in gender, but also in age, also in, in any number of sociodemographic characteristics. Well, we'll see how this varies
0: at that individual level. And I think that's the missing piece we're all looking for. We've got the countdown to the SDGs. We've got 10 years left to really try and get these sustainable goals uh met, and yet we're still just on the cusp of trying to get this information, which is going to be really critical to where to invest, where to focus our efforts most acutely in this next 10 years. So, I mean, timing-wise, this is amazing. Um, really, uh, it would be great to do this kind of podcast maybe a year or five years' time and see how far we've come with this and seeing what we know more than we do now. Well, Yola, know, when I'm,
2: like, struggling through the data and feeling... <laughs> like when I'm feeling like H-Wise isn't, isn't doing what I needed to, I'll listen to this podcast and feel good about myself. Thank you for this enthusiasm.
0: <laughs> oh, no, it's been brilliant from the start. I mean, the fact that it's just been so great to work with you guys, um, all of you. So, yeah.
2: Well, this is a good time to sh- give a shout out to the H-Wise executive team, who include Wendy Jepsen at Texas A&M and Amber Woodich at uh, Arizona State. And Justin Stoller at University of Miami and our, our Cupid man, Chad Statton at the University of Western England.
0: And you can see them all on the HY's website, which looks at the contributors and the map of where this is all happening as well. Thanks for having me today. It's such a pleasure to speak with all of you.
1: Yes. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate you thinking of me for this. Yes, this was amazing. Thank you so much.
0: So Janie, before we wrap up, how do you see HY's being used in different types of monitoring? And how will it be useful in your work with the effectiveness reviews at Oxfam?
1: I think having the nationally representative samples, at least for some of the countries where we work with Gallup will be really useful for comparison as well, especially when we're working on future effectiveness reviews using HYs, as well as other future incorporation of it into our regular monitoring so we can track progress over time, but also because we're usually working in a very specific area that we can then also have some sort of comparison to how water insecurity is comparing there
0: versus the national average yeah and finally a benchmark into you know how people are experiencing this um which is going to be a real game changer in the sector so i think that wraps up a really great discussion uh something which is a real game changer in the sector and also exciting opportunities going forward If you'd like to delve into the wealth information that's been shared on the show, you can find useful resources and links in the episode description. Here you will find the links to the HY's website and see which countries this has been tried in, as well as the tools and resources for monitoring water security in relation to this. In the episode description to this podcast, you will find a link to Oxfam's outcomes-based guide and monitoring framework for how to achieve sustainable water and sanitation. And don't forget, we also have the Effectiveness Reviews homepage, Janie's paper that we mentioned on our blog and podcast on GDPR and the Women's Empowerment and Resilience podcasts. And you can visit Oxfam's policy and practice website, which has the published effectiveness reviews and more from the Real Geek series. You can listen to the podcasts about GDPR, data, monitoring and evaluation. If you don't want to miss an episode, subscribe to the Oxfam In-Depth podcast on your usual podcast provider. Thank you again for listening.